Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. I want to teach on something this morning, and the title of it is Defining Prosperity and Success. Defining Prosperity in success. You know, when I use the word prosperity or the word success, I think everyone here wants to prosper. We all want to succeed. Can we agree with that? But if I were to walk up to you and ask you, hey, what is the word prosperity or what is the word success? What does that word mean to you? I, I, I believe that a lot of us would come up with, well, I think it's, I think it's this. And, and none of us, I'm not saying it's wrong. I personally believe that when you, the desire on the inside of every one of us to prosper and to succeed, I believe that it's God inspired. He is the one that inspired that on the inside of us. And you know, when you look, when you look in the Bible, excuse me, God said in Joshua chapter one, he spoke to Joshua and he said that if you would stay connected with my word, that you will prosper and have good success wherever you go. You come into Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said that if we would seek him first and put his kingdom first, he said that the things that the world gets distracted by and the things that the world replaces God with, God said, I will bless you and that it won't be because you have an unhealthy relationship with it, but because you're seeking me first. When we use the word prosperity or success, it's really important that we define it through God's perspective or through his lens, where we look and we say, God, what is this to you? What would you say it is, God? You're my creator, and you're the one that has original design. And you know, our definition, as I said earlier, it affects everything. And the reason that it affects everything is, one, God inspired it in us, but whenever God inspires something in us, how we pursue it determines if it brings life to us in the pursuit of it. See, it, what it does is it determines our pursuit, but then equally my definition of it determines what I'm willing to sacrifice in order to get it. And, that, and so that's why it's really important that we see it God's way. If you look at the word in the dictionary, the word, the word um, prosperity or prosperous, it means it means the favorable or prosperous termination of attempts or endeavors, the accomplishment of one's goals, the attainment of wealth, position, honor, or the like. What I want you to notice is this definition primarily focuses on natural, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it primarily, and it, it basically it focuses on wealth, it focuses on position, it focuses on a particular goal, that maybe I have this goal in my life. But when you look in the Bible, and I'm going to give you the Bible definition of prosper, or prosperous, or prosperity, it means to rush or to move forward. That's what it means. To rush or to move forward. It means to advance, to prosper, to make progress, to succeed, 
to be profitable. What I want you to notice is that this definition can be applied to every area or the whole or totality of every area of my life. See, when God talks about prosperity, he is talking about a prosperous soul. He's speaking to about a prosperous soul. A prosperous soul affects every area of our lives. And so what God, when God talks about it, when we use the word naturally, it is linked to a specific area that we see and that we want. But when we see, see it in the Bible, it is indicative of something that is on the inside that is now affecting everything in my life on the outside. And what with the word prosperous or prosperity to God is God says, I'm going to give you the ability to move forward, to progress, to break forth, and to take ground in your life. Yes, that could be financially, but what about if you need to prosper in a relationship with somebody? What if you need to prosper in an area in your own soul? See, when God talks about prosperity, and I'm going to say it again, he's talking about a prosperous soul or a soul that on the inside is growing. And when we define prosper or success, it, what it is to ourselves, it directly impacts and motivates us and it should. But then it determines the wholeness that affects our long-term satisfaction. See, if my definition is different than God's definition, it affects my pursuit. It affects what I'm changing. And then that determines my wholeness. And if I, and really, if long term, I have a satisfying life. Let me give you an example of this. This was some years ago. I was in my 20s and we had relocated to the San Diego area. And the Lord had inspired me to start a business. And I remember I was referred to somebody by the name of Jerry in my business. I was in construction. And Jerry called me and said he wanted to have a meeting, and he gave me his address. How many of you remember paper maps? How many of you know what I'm saying? I broke out the paper map, Thomas, guide, Thomas Brothers Guide, and looked, and I thought, oh, Jerry lives on the beach in La Jolla. Okay, anybody know where La Jolla is? Anybody heard of La Jolla? La Jolla is like the Beverly Hills of San Diego. And so I pull up in front of Jerry's house and his garage door is open. And the first thing I notice is that it looks like his family car is a convertible Rolls Royce Bentley. And next to that, it was either a Lamborghini or a convertible Ferrari. And I pulled up and thought, Jerry is doing well. How many of you are with me on that? And I, and I remember Jerry was in his mid-40s and he had retired and he was living on the beach and he decided that he wanted to have a swimming pool between the ocean and his house, which was only about 30 to 40 feet. So he had a crew of people, because you couldn't get heavy equipment back there, that were digging his lap pool by hand. So they were with picks and shovels and they were digging and I went in and I got to know Jerry over, the, over a period of time. And what I found out about Jerry is that in, in case you didn't know, in the 70s, Chrysler and Dodge was going bankrupt. They were on the ropes. 
And what had happened is, is they hired a new CEO by the name of Lee Iacocca. Lee Iacocca had previously been the CEO for Ford Motor Company, and he had kind of fallen out of graces with Ford Motor Company because he was placing a lot of emphasis, and he thought the next market was going to be for these things that had never been um, manufactured in the U.S., and they were called minivans. How many of you are with me? No minivans prior to this. And so he had fallen out of graces with Ford and they let him go and Chrysler quickly grabbed him up and Jerry had some kind of a relationship with Lee Iacocca and as soon as Lee Iacocca became the CEO in 1979 of Chrysler, what Jerry did is he went and got all of his money together and he bought a Chrysler dealership for pennies on the dollar. And he believed so much in this that he went to two two dealerships, to three dealerships, to five dealerships, to 10 dealerships. And he bought up a whole bunch of dealerships in that he started in his 30s. And what was amazing is that is Chrysler turned around, did incredibly well. And so Jerry had all of these dealerships and Jerry did really, 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 really really, 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 really well. He sold all of his dealerships and decided in his low 40s that he was going to retire. And so when I, I, and I met Jerry within just a year or two after his retirement. And as I got to know Jerry, what I realized was two things. Number one is that what he had from a natural perspective was incredible. He could, he could buy anything he wanted for the rest of his life and not have to worry about it. But I equally, this is the next thing I realized, and I remember in my 20s evaluating what he didn't have. I looked and I watched him because I would go into his house early in the morning and be there all day. And as I got to know him, what I realized is that he defined success and pursued and achieved what he had defined it as being. He had pursued it with all of his heart. But along the way, he had sacrificed almost everything in his life. You say, what do you mean? He lost his wife. He lost his kids. He had no, communi- no friends, no community. He had, he had lost everything. And when I met Jerry, he realized that his definition of prosperity in success was missing something major. And so what he was doing is now he was trying to use what he had gotten in order to get back what he had lost, but it was too late. And so I would watch his 18 or 19 year old kids that would come over to Jerry's house and they had no relationship with Jerry. I don't even think they liked Jerry, but what they liked, what his, it was his money. And so Jerry would just whatever, anything. And it was just like, I was just watching him. He couldn't, his, and, and he had no, he was lonely. He was by himself. And he was using what he thought, what prosperity and success was. And it, he was trying to get what he had sacrificed in order to get it. And I remember that, that watching Jerry and what he would do is, how many of you know that in the world he was not a believer, he was not a Christian, 
But so what, how many of you know that if you, they didn't have any of the dating websites, so he would like go out on a date and he would either pull up in his Rolls Royce or his Lamborghini to take them on a date. How many of you know in the world that messes with people's heads? Girls are like, I love you. Let me just tell you, Anna Nicole did not love the dude she married. Okay, she loved his money, but not him. Okay, 30-year-old pretty girls don't marry 90-year-old men. Are you with me? And, and so Jerry would pull up to go on a date, and they wanted his money. And so Jerry's solution was he would bring them back to his house, which I was there many times. He'd bring them back to his house, and they would go, he would go over to the cabinet and pull out a box of grape nuts and a gallon of milk and go sit down at the table with them, and they would eat breakfast over his grape nuts and milk because what he was trying to do is see their heart. He didn't want them loving him for his money. And what was amazing to me is this, is I believe that some of us need to redefine in our mind what is prosperous in success. Is it, is it through the lens of God, your creator, who has original design? Or is it through the eyes of the world and what the world says? You know, the, there's a quote, and I like this quote. I don't know who said it, but I remembered it. It says, if you lose money, you haven't lost much. If you lose your health, you've lost something. But if you lose your integrity, you've lost everything. And you know what? I want to read a scripture in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Some of us right now in this time, our world has been rattled. The material realm is rattled. I want to tell you something. God wants to give you a prosperous soul. And when you have a prosperous soul, understand it isn't what you have. It's who you know. And he'll take care of what you need. And sometimes in our lives, what we've got to realize is a prosperous soul. The Bible is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. When you read it, the Holy Spirit speaks to you through what it's saying. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says this, Loving money is the first step toward all kinds of trouble. Notice the statement there, not money, it's loving money. I've been around people that don't have any money, and they do not have a good relationship with money. It's sometimes we think, oh, money. No, money isn't the problem. The Bible says that heaven is streets are paved with gold and its doors are a single pearl. God has got no problem with money, but what he wants is our heart to be defined right. So loving money is the first step toward all kinds of trouble. Notice, not money, but loving it, what it can buy. And God said, that's the problem. He said, some people run after it. Now look at this word, too much, that they have given up their faith. Notice the statement, they're consumed with it. They're consumed with, this is going to make me whole. I know people, and they will not go to church, but they will work. I know they will, but why? Because you can readily see the priority. If, 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 if making a buck 
If, 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 if doing something from the material realm, they will prioritize that over God. And God says, you have an unhealthy relationship with the material realm and understand it's going to pierce you with a lot of sorrow. It's going to pierce you. God is trying to get us to have a prosperous soul. Let's continue reading. Craving more money pushes them. This is the person that is an unhealthy relationship with it and with the material realm. Craving more money pushes them away from, their, from the faith into error, compounding misery in their lives. Notice this was not written to the world. This was written to Christians. This, this was written to Christians, and, and he's writing them. See, it's not the money or the stuff. It's my relationship and my view of it that make it either healthy or unhealthy in my life. It isn't, God's got no problem. He, we read earlier, it's my relationship with it. You know, you stop, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 30 through 33. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and they're thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31. So don't worry about these things. What is he talking about? All the natural things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? We could put in a, a page after that. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. I like most translations say that if I'll seek God's kingdom and his way of doing and being right, he said all of the things that the world sacrifices to get, God said, I'll bring it into your life. I'll bring it in. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, my son or my daughter, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. Notice the statement here. God's speaking to us as kids. And what he's saying is don't forget my perspective, my teaching, my view, what I say. He said, let it be something that is deep on the inside of you. Now look at what they do when I do that. For length of days. One translation says long productive days. When I remember God and I have a prosperous soul, what God says is he would give me long productive days. That my days would be productive. And then look at what he said. And years of a life worth living. In other words, as I get older and older and older, I'll step back and say I could have never done this. I could have never made it this way. I could have never planned it. God, you have given me a, a life of years worth living. And then look at this, and tranquility, that is peace. God said, I will give you long productive days. I will give you years of a life worth living. I will give you tranquility, that is peace on the good days and peace on the bad days. That is when you're going through a ringer, you can sense God in your life and over 
your life. He said, I'll give you tranquility. And then look at what he said, and prosperity. And he defines prosperity here is the wholeness of life's blessings. This will they add to you. What I want you to notice is this. God says prosperity is the wholeness of life's blessings. God has a call. God has a plan. And he wants to bring the wholeness of what he's got for your life, for your future. And what it is, is he said it all comes back to a prosperous soul. It all comes back. See, prosperity is the wholeness of all life's blessings that God has for me. That's what it is. If we don't watch it, we can buy into prosperity and success is money. And what it produces will satisfy my needs. Money is part of it, but it's not the main part. The main part is a prosperous soul. It's a prosperous soul. You know, you, when you read and study the Bible, like Micah quoted about Solomon a couple weeks ago, when Solomon was young, he took over somewhere between the age of 15 and 17, he became the king of Israel. And God appeared to him in a dream and said, what do you want? I'll give it to you. How many of you could be like, oh, yes. He said, give me wisdom that I can lead your people right. That's what Solomon said at 15 to 17. That's a pretty good response. God said, because you've asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you not only wisdom. He said, you could have asked for money. You could have asked for the heads of your enemies on a plate. But you asked me for wisdom. And since you asked me for wisdom, he said, I'm going to give you not only wisdom, but I'm going to give you prosperity, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you more prosperous than anybody before you and wiser than anybody before you. If you study Solomon's life, what you find out is that Solomon at a young age had two weaknesses in his life. He was at a young age, and his mother, how many of you know mama knows best? His mother spotted it, and if you read Proverbs, I think 31, right around in there, is it's his mother slapping him across the face. She slapped him three times. What the son of my womb? What the son of my vow? What the son of my right? She slapped him across the face three times. How many of you 15 to 17-year-olds would respond right if your mother slapped you across the face three times? And she said, don't give your strength to that which destroys kings. And she was talking about he had a weakness with alcohol. And then she began to talk to him about women in his life. Solomon had a weakness with women. What you study his life is you find out that he overcame the alcohol, but the women part was a mess. He had a thousand wives. How many of y'all know? Just say, no way. You know what I'm saying? Most guys cannot handle one wife much less a thousand wives. And, and Solomon, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1-2, which he's in a backslidden state in Ecclesiastes, he said this, that he took all of his wealth and he withheld nothing from his eyes. Anything he wanted, he bought it. Anything he wanted. He became more and more miserable. And at the end of his life in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, it says this, all has been heard and the end of the matter is, fear God. Revere and worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commands. For this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation 
of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions that are under the sun, the whole duty of every man. See, success is what everybody wants, but my question to you today is what is your definition of it? What is your, is your definition what God says? Look at what it says in Proverbs 3, verse 14 through verse 18. It says, for wisdom's profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can wish for compares with her in value. Now look at this. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the highways of pleasantness and favor, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy, blessed, considered fortunate to be admired is everyone who holds her tightly. See, in our lives, what we've got to realize is that if we don't watch it, we limit ourselves with our definition. And I remember, and this was years ago when I was dating my wife and we were in Bible college. My wife is one of the most giving people I know. She would just... And back then, my wife, she was just, she would, the first thing she would do when she got paid is she would cash her check and set aside her tithe because Jesus was the Lord of her life and that revealed it. But the next thing she would do is she would take money and she would take, drive her little Honda Civic over into a poor, needy area and pull up. Now I think they would arrest you for it. But she would tell all the kids to get into her car and she was going to take them to Dairy Queen. How many of you know if they pull up now in a neighborhood and say, come on, kids, get in the car? <laughs> she would take them to Dairy Queen and she would, she would walk them up to the counter and say, pick anything you want. You can have anything. And she said they would go up to the car or the counter and they would look at her and they would look at the person and they would say, I'll take a single dip ice cream cone. And she looked at him and said, you could have a peanut buster, peanut buster parfait. How many of you are with me on peanut buster parfaits? You can have a banana split. Come on. I'm the only one has got my hand up. How many of you go for a banana split? <laughs> And they would be like, no, no, I just want a small cone. And they would order the small cone and step back. See, I think many of us in regard to prosperity have been ordering the small cone because that's all we know. And God is saying, prosperity is so much more. Number one is it's a prosperous soul. Prosperous souls are constantly moving forward. They're taking ground. They're not a prisoner of anything. God says, I want to show you how to prosper in that adverse situation. Yes, it's money, but it's so much more. With my one minute and 30 seconds, I'm going to give you five points. I mean, I'm going to go fast. <laughs> What's my definition of success? Number one, recognize that our world has, we, has redefined prosperity and success. It's redefined it. Totally redefined it. My question to you is, have you embraced God's definition? Number two is this. Is fulfillment and satisfaction 
comes from a proper definement. If I'm going to live fulfilled, Jerry, my buddy Jerry in California can tell you that. If I'm going to live fulfilled and satisfied, it comes from a proper me defining it rightly. Number three is this, is true prosperity always starts inside and remains connected to the inside. True prosperity, it is on the inside of you. It is you saying, okay, God, I surrender my heart. I surrender my life. Lord, a true prosperity is me embracing God in his ability to overcome my weaknesses, to overcome my struggles, because how many of y'all know we all got them? And true prosperity is a soul that is healthy, that is open, that is receptive to God and his word. You know, there's a term in house in flipping when they're buying like remodels and flips. And the term is you can look at the house and it's just a total dog, but they say it's got good bones. How many of you know what I'm saying? couple years back, Micah bought a house that the only thing it had was good bones. Okay. And then he enlisted me. You know what? I am slave labor. Okay. And he enlisted. He said, dad, will you help me? And look, we We worked for a year and a half. Now it has more than good bones. Now it looks great. His neighbor came over to him and thanked him for upgrading the neighborhood. His his neighbor came up and said, now you used to have the ugliest house, and now you have the prettiest house. But what it was is it started with the inside. It was us stopping and, and saying, okay, it says in 3 John 2, God said, I desire that you prosper and that you're in health even as I know your soul is prospering. Your soul is prospering. Number four is this, is living in God's best requires right believing and work. I'm going to say it again. It isn't just believing, it's work. See, realize God created you. What do you mean by work? Effort, discipline, self-control, getting up, pushing yourself, disciplining yourself, doing what you know the right, it's work. God created us in his image and you study the Bible and what you find out is God worked. It says God worked on day one of creation and then he stepped back and looked and was well pleased. God worked on day two and he stepped back and said he was well pleased. God worked. We gotta have right believing and then put effort into our right believing to live in the life that God has for us. It is, if you remember, some people like, well, you know, Work came after the fall. It did not. The Bible says God created Adam, put him in the garden, and then God said this to him, I want you to tend and keep it. You say, what does that mean? That means work. He said, tend, you're going to work the garden, and it's going to produce fruit. God intends for us to understand that it is believing in a good work ethic that causes us to live a prosperous whole life, and we must embrace it. It's not just me believing or me knowing but it's me applying. And the last one, number five, is this, is true success ends when we forget God or ignore what he says. True success, it ends when I forget God 
or I ignore. And this is every step of the way, every step in our life. Say, I love God. I'm going after God with all of my heart. Great. You know what God's going to do is he's going to bless you. As he blesses you, the temptation is your heart to go into the blessing rather than stay in the blessor. And when it goes into the blessing, what it does is it limits us. True success ends when we forget God or ignore what he says. See, my recognition that God is my greatest need. I'm going to tell y'all, God's my greatest need. Thanks, Micah. How about you guys? God's my greatest need. Stand to your feet if you would. 